Okay, what's up? What's up, Tim? What's going on? This is a podcast, right? Yeah, this is a podcast. I think it is. How, how was your day today? Uh, pretty good. Got my glasses fixed. I actually uh, this weekend I fell asleep on them. I don't know. You get you don't wear glasses anymore, but I, I wear. Ever... I wear these glasses. These are blue light glasses. I recommend them. Not sponsored. Okay. The the last time I got glasses, I actually got the blue light filters. But um, yeah, I fell asleep on them and they got crooked. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It was actually yeah. pretty bad. It was like it was probably this far off, and I had to like make it through the weekend without like seeing anybody because it was like that far off. Oh wow! And then I yes, then I went uh, today to the, the eye doctor and got them. Sick. Thankfully, that's free where I go. But do our listeners care this much about my glasses? <laughs> I think they do. Uh, we're basically celebrities. I mean, people are going to be going back in years and watching. I know. Oh, by the um, way, for the fans, I bought a car. <laughs> just, just, kind of car just throw get? that out there. I got a, I got a new car actually, uh, brand new 2022 Honda Civic, complete redesign and everything. It doesn't, it, it looks completely different than every other Civic that's come out not even 2022 yet i know it's literally like halfway through it no we're not even at the halfway well we're about to hit it right like literally yeah two i guess days uh... on my birthday shout out to my birthday um but yeah being an adult is not fun and that's what this whole podcast is about i feel like car companies are pushing their uh the year of their models further and further forward because it sounds cool yeah, because like you can get the you can get next year's car earlier and earlier and earlier, but now we're literally like six months ahead. Before you know it, are we gonna be like a full year ahead? And then what do you honestly do? You can't keep pushing it. <laughs> They're selling twenty twenty fives already. Imagine. <laughs> Pretty cool. It's gonna be like women's clothing sizes. It just doesn't even make sense. It's just arbitrary. This <laughs> this is the 2067 Honda Civic. <laughs> it's just a number. If you're a business out there and you want us to promote your products on this podcast, go hit us up. Do we have an email on this? I don't think we do. Probably need to set that up, too. We have a lot of things to accomplish. Yeah, the change definitely made things like more complicated, but there's more to do very quickly so we might have an email um we can set one up honestly tim i feel like you should set this email up just because i have so many emails set up right now all right i'll set one up <laughs> all right uh check our youtube banner and description probably yeah they'll be up by now yeah. when this goes up it'll it's gonna look sick oh it is or it has looked sick. Don't forget, we're on episode two. Yeah, it has looked sick. What's episode two about, by the way? This is an episode? This is a podcast? I just came on here because I, I just feel like talking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, but uh, yeah, we're going to continue the theme in this episode on happiness. And today we're going to be talking about the chase. People love the chase, right, Tim? The chase of happiness yeah, I mean, uh, isn't that what women want? <laughs> women want the chase. Men men also like the chase. 
the chase can be fun, but uh, if all you ever do is chase, I don't know. It's like it's like tag. Who wants to be it when you stop playing tag? Oh, that's a good. That's a good point. Like it, it's fine you, if you weren't it at the end. Well, no, you lose, right? If you're it at the end of tag. Well, when does tag end? Tag ends when recess is over, right? Yeah, when either when everybody gets bored, or when an adult says, "Hey, would you stop fighting each other?" It's like <laughs> we weren't fighting; we were playing tag. Tag's the most underrated game of all time. It's good cardio. It is honestly. I feel like it's really healthy for kids. Yeah. Let's promote tag at uh. Did you ever uh schools? Do you ever play like different versions of tag in like elementary school? Like line tag, or I know there's Is tag. When, like everybody like has to hold hands. No, I think line tag was actually in Foursquare. Have you ever played Foursquare? Yeah. It was like a mini game within Foursquare where you had to walk in the lines and then one person was it. Okay. It's a pretty fun game. But no, I I used to play like lava tag where you played on the playground. If you touch the ground, then you're it. Mm -hmm. My uh my favorite version of tag we played it was called blob tag. So if you got tagged it, you had to like hold on to like the group of people that were it, and like everybody like stayed it, and like basically it grew. Yep, I played that. I remember. It's pretty really sick. <laughs> <laughs> but the bigger that the blob gets the, the slower fewer people there are for the blob to still get so it's growth would, like have to slow down yeah and don't you you play that in a confined area right you can't play that like in an open field or else you'd never get all the people yeah so you might say that non-it people become scarce <laughs> oh my <laughs> way to tie it in okay okay so we need to talk about this law of scarcity this was tim's idea by the way yeah so i thought of this like uh three weeks ago no, it wasn't that long two weeks ago probably two weeks ago yeah thankfully uh scott did some research and uh got some good definitions here just as a reminder yeah because i forgot what i came up with <laughs> Tim's Tim's gonna explain this to the audience. I know what the law of scarcity is, but I was trying to like think think about what Tim was thinking about when he wrote this down. I think I had a good idea about what you're trying to talk about, but I think I was ultimately wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think I was getting at like the the people and things that bring you happiness because I I don't think it's wrong to say things bring happiness. Ultimately, like people bring the most probably, but. If you literally sat in a room without anyone or anything, you wouldn't be happy. You know? It'd be very so, hard. Yeah, it's... And it's not even that money brings happiness, but certainly money brings the access to happiness. You know, like... Opportunity. A, right. Yeah, a person, with, a person without any money, the odds that they're happy is very, very low. Yeah, like a homeless person. Let's do a study. Yeah. Let's interview a thousand homeless people and ask them to you can just do this so basic just say are you happy or not i guarantee you the majority of those people are gonna say i'm unhappy mm -hmm. someone do that study i bet they already have it's pretty basic i mean it might be uh something that's just difficult to measure difficult to like have proper research methods but well, but i think most people agree on 
you know, ultimately what would be true. What's that term called? It's like diminishing marginal returns or something. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, the more m money you have, especially after a certain threshold, like if, Bezos is no happier than he was when he like, was a 10 billionaire. Like goes like that. It goes like yeah. up sharply and then starts to flatten out as you make more money. That's another podcast that we're going to be talking about finances and the correlation with uh, happiness. But Tim, um, Tim, talk about scarcity. So right before I get into that, it basically you have like all these things that you want to do with your life, but uh, you can't do them all. So that was uh, the scarcity. Okay. I was getting it. Um, I think at least again, it was like over two weeks ago. <laughs> uh so the scarcity principle just like in economics uh is that there's a limited supply of goods and services uh but human beings have unlimited demand um so we can always want more and the thing like i always say you know it's better than being a millionaire being a one million and one dollar heir yep like you'll a human being can always imagine something better than what they currently have. It's kind of like the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Or the grass could always just be greener. Yeah. People are never content with mm -hmm. the current state. It might even connect to uh, that idea that I have. I say this to people all the time. I can't stand the word capitalism i can't stand the word communism and i can't stand the word socialism because to me they mean nothing it's only directions of movement that really affect how people feel or how they live or what they believe so like people might believe that the u.s should be more socialized or they might believe that america should be more capitalized they you know they want to move america in a certain direction but like i always say to them that we're all, if you believe that the military should be controlled by the government you are a socialist you might not like that word but you believe in some degree of socialization um so i guess really there could potentially be anarchists but how that connects back like uh people need to be improving somehow to find happiness uh you're not going to have happiness in a stationary moment of time. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? So, like, happiness comes through improvement or growth or moving in a direction. If you're not going to have, you're not going to be living an experience that brings happiness at least not for a long time, you're going, what would bring happiness is working toward more experiences. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so I think that's really the direction people have to think about this in. Would you think, would you ever consider happiness a good? 
I mean... What is a... I mean, a good... A, a, a good requires... No, a good doesn't require anything as physical existence. Like, a uh, a digital movie is a good. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the issue with happiness is, like, how do you put a price on happiness? I was going to suggest that it was commodified, but I think a commodity requires that it's easily tradable. And... I, I, I think... I think we're coming to conclusion. You can't <laughs> like it's it's such like a such like a broad abstract con concept. <laughs> you can't really like go to the store and just be like, "Hey, how much for that happiness?" And they're like, "It's a it's measured in utils." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever thought of the unit util? That's a. Uh... Utility is measured in utils, which are <laughs> arbitrary units that are... It's like points. In, yeah, they're independent for every person. So you can't compare two people's utils. But you can... You oftentimes, but not always, can compare the same person's utils in one moment to their utils in... Okay. So let's pretend... Let's pretend... This isn't, this isn't really true, but let's pretend happiness is a good which you can pay a price for. Do you think, this is so random, but I'm curious to th see what you say. Do you think in modern day society, since depression and anxiety are up, especially for Gen Z, do you think the price of happiness is increasing due to its limited supply? Do you think it, it's experiencing price inflation? I think it is. Can you restate the question one more time? Just like I'm thinking about a supply and demand curve right now and the law of yeah. scarcity. Do you think that the if we're talking about happiness as a good, do you think that right now compared to like the past, the price of happiness has gone up substantially? You have to work more for it. You're saying, yeah, it's almost like it's almost like people are valuing happiness today way more than they used to. Like, they're almost, like, paying attention. I feel like that's also, like, a social construct. Like, like in school, they teach us, like, happiness is the ultimate goal. And, like, you should just strive to be happy. And money is, like, one of the main ways to get there. Which I don't really agree with. So, it's, like, kind of, like, every day people are constantly thinking, like, I need to be happy. I need to be happy. Because everyone else is, right? They they have that idea that everyone else is happy. And they're the only one that's not. So, they're putting such a high be, price on it. It might just be, like, a, a consequence of social media and the rise of... The rise of, like, easier comparison between you and other people. Yep. And I don't just, I don't just mean like, uh, I, I don't just mean like when a lot of people like look at other people and like say like, I'm not as like pretty or handsome as you. I mean, like all you ever see on social media is other people at their best or on like adventures and living these like great experiences that, you know, would bring any person tons of happiness, but you don't know what that person does the other six days of the week. Mm -hmm. 
And Tim, and a I, lot of the, a lot of, sorry to cut you off. A lot of those times when they go on those fun adventures and they post it on social media, you wouldn't, you would think that they're happy, but how many times have you say like gone to a, like a social event, a gathering where it's assumed you'll be happy at that because humans are social beings and they like being in groups and that ultimately makes them happy. What if, what if you're, uh, sibling just passed away and you go to that event you're not going to be happy at that event a lot of the times like certain memories like cloud our thoughts and don't allow you to be happy yeah like you never know what's going on in people's lives right that's what i was trying to get at i i agree with that but then also i mean if we're trying to tear tear down this like image that i think a lot of people have of what other people's lives are like even you don't know the internal dynamics of of those friends that they might be with like who is what kinds of relationships are going on there that might be impeding them mm -hmm. it's all it's all very complicated it is very complicated and i think that this is what ultimately brings about like why people are have this newfound or, or seemingly new appreciation for happiness and why it's become such a big topic of conversation. Because I also think we're very uh, comparative creatures. Yes, we are. But my, my question is like, and I'm starting to do this too. I'm trying to stop. Like, why do we put happiness on such a pedestal? Like, why is it on our minds literally 24 seconds? And we're, and I think it's a good time to talk about, like, the whole investing thing and loss aversion. Like, I feel like it's just, like, every day people wake up and they just assume, like, I have the right or I should have the right to be happy 24-7. If I'm not, I'm doing something wrong. And as you said, people will compare themselves to others and look at, like, people on social media and be like, that person... It's like Joe Rogan, shout out to his podcast. Joe Rogan looks like he's happy every day because he's such a hard worker and he's successful. How can he do it and I can't? So I feel like it, the whole comparing yourself to others things is almost like a a catalyst to that. Sort of like emphasizes the whole like the need for happiness in your life. I don't think I don't think it should be your I don't think you should think about it 24/7. I'm curious um if there's so language is a, is a really interesting thing. Uh and one of the disadvantages of being an American is you probably only speak one language versus, you know, around the world it's much more common to speak multiple and you never know which ideas you're missing because you only speak one language like a lot of languages they might have two or three words for something that are in common use that we we don't have perhaps in english and i'm sure there's examples the opposite way where english has multiple words for something i wonder if there's more types of happiness than we really think about that are in common yeah. use and what if you know, it sounds like we're putting all of our focus on this one goal, but it's really, it's multiple goals. 
I think happiness is a very complex idea because like you could say you're like here's an example here's an example where you might feel like it's almost like tears of joy like you should be sad but you're also it you're, it almost like sparks happiness in your mind like if you're like losing a best friend like they're moving somewhere else like you've grown up with this person but they got a great job in a different area and you're happy for them that they're growing throughout their career and like moving up in the world but you're also losing them at the same time it's like it's weird because you're like you're happy that they're almost leaving or you have a friend who gets a girlfriend and doesn't play video oh games my God. anymore <laughs> <laughs> i'm so happy for that person yeah tim throws in all makes... these like easter eggs like <laughs> it just makes me so happy <laughs> i'm so happy for him or her <laughs> uh yeah it's you, you just you never know what's going on the the book that i'm reading which i i brought up uh on last week's podcast also um it's about how or one of its major like themes is humans are re reactionary thinkers not creative thinkers and like one of the stupidest uh examples so it's the black swan if uh anybody's curious it's by i don't want to mix mispronounce his name nasim nicholas taleb he just destroyed that guy's name and he's probably watching this right now he's so steamed <laughs> uh <laughs> kidding one of the craziest examples i heard if black swan events are basically unpredictable events uh in world war one the germans were able to break into france I, I mean ultimately they just ended up with the western front which was just one long trench mm -hmm. but it, in one of the parts of the german french border they were able to break through so the french responded after world war one they built a wall in that spot that way the germans you know couldn't get into france again and then world war ii you know before the war Hitler couldn't get in. They built a wall in the spot that the Germans always take when they go in. It wasn't the whole border. So they walked around. They walked around the wall. Okay, that's such a Bugs Life analogy or <laughs> reference. Do you remember the leaf? No. It's the first scene in Bugs Life. I think so. I think it's the first scene. They're walking. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. walking in a straight line and a leaf falls. They cuts off the line. And like the the ants, the ants panic. don't know where to go. They're like, where do we go? And then the leader of the ants, or I don't know, like the supervisor guy, he's like, he's like, go around the leaf. And they're like, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they can like literally see, it's like it's only cutting, it's barely cutting off the line at all, and they literally can see the other side, like where the ants in front of them are. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that when we see these other people that are that are happy, or or that seem happy in these like brief moments that we see them, we we react instead of being you know creative. Like we need to be happy in the same way that they're happy. We have to do what they just did. Right. It's not okay. What would make me happy? That's not what we 
our brains jump and do. Yeah, I think our it, brains naturally say, yeah. "Okay, I should have been there," or "Okay, I should have done that." Right. Like, think about this. Think about this. Like, this podcast ultimately gives me some utility, right? Doing this mm -hmm. and recording it and making a business out of this. This makes me happy, but like throughout the day, I see people on social media, and we'll talk about this in the social media episode. But you see them going on a hike, and you're like, "I want to go on a hike now." Because that brought them happiness. Now I want to go on a hike to bring me the same happiness. But that doesn't... I like hiking. I mean, that's probably a bad example. But a lot of people don't like hiking. And they're like, I need to go on a hike now. Yeah, it's almost like... I guess it's basically jealousy. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's anything that like... Like jealousy gets like a rip. calling it jealousy like makes it sound so bad, but I think everyone's brains do it. You know, it, it it's not really something I think in a lot of people is like completely unchecked. Where it's like, it's mostly just unhealthy. It's not like you know, like seven deadly sins. But so I think let's let's talk. I think that's where like the the rise in happiness awareness comes from. At least that's what stands out to me. Granted, another thing in my book is human beings are master explainers, but not everything can be explained. Interesting. So, like, after the fact, like, we get these black swan events. Uh, like, uh, the, the 1987 October crash of the stock market. That was the day the Dow fell 22% in a single day. The the worst crash ever. And still to this day, I'm actually I actually stand pretty firm in there was not an explanation and there is like a subculture of people who say there was not. Um but there's a lot of consensus on many different explanations because human beings need there to be explanations. But really what if it was just these people were scared, which led these people to be scared, which blew everything up. You know, there's no necessity it had to be an oil crash. Because there wasn't an oil crash. But human beings are just natural experience. Mm-hmm. I agree. Want to talk about some loss aversion? Sounds like you do. So loss aversion comes from <laughs> prospect theory, right, Tim? Yep. There's four components to it. Is uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. Tversky, yep. Do I remember all four components? Probably not. Between the two of us, do we? One's so the it... probability one where people overvalue... Uh, probability low... weighting, it's called. Yeah, they overvalue low probabilities and they undervalue high probabilities of stuff happening. So that's why people would rather pay the rather play the lottery because they overvalue the very low probability of winning than like taking a drug that's like 99% effective or something. Yeah, then get a COVID vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Is that political? No. The COVID vaccines are safe and effective. End of commercial. <laughs> the CDC totally didn't pay us to say that. Joe Bunyan. <laughs> We're actually funded by the CDC. Imagine this whole get this gets taken down. 
we, we just encourage people to get vaccinated. Yeah. End of commercial. Do you remember the other components? Yeah, so the probability weighting, the loss aversion. Um, oh, uh, re uh, referencing? Or anchoring? Something like that? See, they're, they're all, like, so related. Yeah, anchoring or reference point. Yeah, because loss aversion requires a reference point. Right. What's the other one? I, I know there's a graph. I'm sure this I'm sure this can be easily googled. Is it like diminish is is there is does it have something to do with like diminishing returns? Uh I think there were uh four graphs. Yeah, so it's loss aversion, uh reference dependence. We got that. Okay, do you want me to do you want me to just explain loss aversion for the viewers? Yeah, go for that. Okay. So loss aversion we're going to apply it to happiness in a sec, but it's basically the idea that losses always hurt more than gains. So, let me if we were to use utils as an example, if I find a dollar on the street, I get 5 utils. If I walk down the street and a dollar falls out of my pocket, so same exact amount of currency being gained and lost in this example, if I lose a dollar, I lose 10 utils. People always say like uh, losses hurt twice as much as gains. So if I were to lose that dollar, I would lose 10 utils. If I were to find a dollar, I would gain five utils. It's just so weird saying that. <laughs> Who came yeah. up with that? So, utils, again, they're just, like, a, a measure for happiness. Right. I feel like this whole podcast is behavioral economics. I feel like once we, uh, in season two, when we're not talking about happiness, although, I mean, happiness is going to be part of every season. Mm -hmm. but, well, it just because we're talking about happiness, which is roughly utility, which is literally behavioral economics. Yeah. So don't don't go to college and take that class. Just watch our podcast, right? Yeah. Don't pay for a degree. Okay, I'm joking when I say that. <laughs> I do like encouraging people to think more about whether they want degrees. But yeah. At the, at the same time, I was not prepared to make that decision as a high school senior. Our econ professor, Dr. Mundal, always told us and we studied this in labor econ that the value of getting a college degree is still a great investment in the year 2021 well 2020 when we took the class mm -hmm. you, get, I mean, you still get a good return on your investment in 2020 and he's a he's an expert on that stuff so like you'll read you'll read a lot in papers and stuff that like the return like the returns are diminishing which is like sort of true but it's still a good investment it depends on um on the field but right still for the majority we might have a bad data set uh because 2008 those graduates that graduated between 2007 and like 2011 
that group of graduates really was screwed in a way that just about no other graduates have been, and they could seriously be messing with our data that helps to sell a narrative that college isn't useful. What about this year? Or last year, especially last year's grads. It's probably better for us this year. So, because the economy's expanding right now. So long as last year's graduates, I mean, I don't know yet, so long as they can find the motivation now that it has been a year since they left school to go and get jobs. I, I keep saying to uh, my grandma in particular, my parents believe me, um, but since I'm still looking for work, that I don't think that jobs in right now in 2021, I don't think that they're hard to find at all. I don't think that there are very few jobs. I think that there's more jobs than there's ever been. It's just, it's a different job market. Because right. there's no reason I couldn't work in Chicago or Seattle or New York or Boston or Abu Dhabi for that matter. You could work, you can, a lot of people are like, working remote now yeah i mean because of remote you can literally work anywhere you can have any job it's pretty sick well except labor intensive jobs obviously that can't be remote you can't work yeah. remote at starbucks uh you get like a drone that you oh like my god <laughs> <laughs> you like yeah like you're you, you're controlling a robot at as a cashier mm -hmm. from your house <laughs> so stupid disregard that okay um yeah okay so let's we're going to talk about investing and we're going to relate it back to happiness and this is all about loss aversion this is why you shouldn't check um check your happiness levels every five seconds okay so as an investor okay let's just say one thing i'm not a financial expert and, and, and i am i passed exam ifm that still doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Go to an actual financial expert. Don't listen to me. But listen to Tim because he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I mean, max out your credit card. Yeah, yeah. Um, max it out. Don't pay it off. What are they going to do? Send a debt collector? No. What's the debt collector going to do? Collect the debt? <laughs> How's he gonna do that? He doesn't have your password. It's COVID. He can't actually go to your door. <laughs> um, what was I saying? So in in the long run, okay, let okay hypothetically, if you invest in an index fund like the S and P, you should get roughly a ten percent return on your investment every year because the economy should be growing and expanding. Businesses should be doing better being managing their expenses better maximizing their revenues yada 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 you should as a as a stockholder you should get a pretty good return on your investment if you just stick money into an index fund however mm -hmm. on a daily basis the stock market fluctuates right tim it goes up it goes yeah. down so if you check say say you don't look at your portfolio for an entire year say you invest a hundred dollars and if you invest that $100 in the S&P, you get 10% return. So at the end of one year, you your account is up to $110, if I did my math correctly. Again, though, you're working with numbers that I... If you put $10,000 in, 
At least oh, so you want you want to get more complicated? <laughs> so you get okay. So you get a thousand dollars at the end, right? Yeah, at least now I'm. You're happy with that? You're happy with that return? Uh, not for my portfolio. <laughs> to mess all your expectations. You so you'll be left with eleven k at the end of the year, right? That feels pretty good. You'll look at that. You'll be like, "That's a positive gain. I didn't lose anything, so I'm happy. I got how how many utils? Uh it's different for from. 10. Okay, you got ten utils from that, as opposed to if you checked it every well, day or once or even once a week. If you checked it multiple times throughout the year, I'm gonna make this so basic. Say you check it twice a year, semi annually. So just that that's just twice as many times, like halfway into the year and then at the end of the year. So at at the halfway point, say you were you lost I don't know. Say you lost like five hundred dollars or something in your account. So you're down to like ninety five hundred dollars. And let's assume that losses are uh twice as big as gains in terms of utils so you so yeah then you, you you would have negative 10 you would have negative 10 at utils six at six months and then at the year um it would it would still go up by the same amount you would right have fif- yeah you would gain 15 utils so at the end of the year even though you ended up with so in both examples, you went from ten thousand to eleven k. In the first example, where you only checked the beginning and the end of the year, you would have ten utils of happiness, which is more than the five utils you would have gotten had you checked uh, beginning, the middle, and the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So moral of the story is if the more you check, the more likely you are to see a negative event. I think it was like, I don't know where I saw the stat from. Maybe it was online. I think it was like 53% of the days have a positive return on the S&P. That's like the likelihood. Is it the majority of days are positive? I'm pretty sure. I think it's 53% of the days are positive. I didn't think the stock market was that nice to us. <laughs> and then the remaining 47% are negative days. It definitely, as someone who checks about... I check every day. Dude, I like... I'm, about I, five or six times a day. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely feels like the majority. Although the past six months have also sucked. Yes. Kind of. I guess January was okay. So the past five months. So moral of the story is if the more you check, the more likely you are to see a negative day, a loss. That loss is going to be exponentially higher in terms of negative utility compared to seeing a positive day. So you might end up at the end of the year with a lower net utility than if you just check once at the end of the year. So now we're going to take that concept and tie it back into happiness. Um. What do you think of the uh, it's better to be a pessimist argument? That, that's uh, so, you're nev- so you're never disappointed? Yeah, if you're optimistic about everything, you're often going to be disappointed. And disappointment hurts more than the benefits of... What, what would be the opposite of disappointment? Not, not quite satisfaction, but more than Surprise? 
Yeah, but is there a word for like good surprise? surprise uh, yeah, there is. Way. Um, because disappointment is bad surprise. You you're you're not disappointed if you expected something. Yeah, it's like you exceeded my expectations. Yeah. But um. So this is this deals with like reference points. Yeah, there's there's an argument in behavioral economics. I don't know how the economists get themselves out of it because I don't think most economists decide to be pessimists. But basically the logic goes to you should be a pessimist. You would be happier if you were a pessimist. Yeah. If you're Maybe they just argue humans get uh some kind of utility from being optimistic. Mhm. Mm so it so basically what we're saying is or what you I'm putting quotes on this because I don't want to tell anyone what to do. This is just my recommendation. Be be open to bad stuff happening. Like be fine with like stuff not going your way. Because then when those good things do come, you'll get a lot of positive utility out of it. So it's like if like something bad goes on throughout the day and you you're a pessimist. You'd be like, oh, that's, I expected that to happen. My maybe my law or negative utility isn't that much. As opposed every, to every New Year's, you should expect a pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. So, 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 all the listeners out there, the pandemic, the pandemic's actually gonna like happen again. There's gonna be new variants, and therefore, I shouldn't be saying this because it's this just spreading false information. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's. I definitely don't agree that people should be pessimistic, but that that is kind of where that logic leads. Yeah, and I always I always think it's fascinating when you have these consistent logical rules that make sense, and then you carry them all the way out, and you say, "I don't want that." Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> you say, "Well, crap that there, there's some kind of." And you've got two options there. Either the human brain isn't designed for something and you have to figure out how to... You can try to rewire your brain if that's applicable. Perhaps your brain is already rewired. Or, or the logic was flawed from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I know because our society tells us like you shouldn't be a pessimist. Like, that's wrong. You should be an optimist. You should expect everything to go well. But at the same time... There is it... the line, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Right. So is that... Okay, like, you know how we said last episode, we're like, we don't have any answers to these questions. We'll discover them as we go. Is that an answer? Did we just discover the truth, Tim? how you should live your life but yeah there... <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean so hope doesn't cost anything or does it that's a whole i don't know okay but but at least care... hear, hear me out. It doesn't cost so... any physical dollars um preparation definitely costs something whether yes. it costs physical dollars or not um 
And you would almost assume if you prepare for something, you're gambling on it happening. Otherwise, you're arguably wasting your time. Mm -hmm. So if you're typically preparing for the worst, are you a pessimist? Yes, because I think you're expecting the worst to happen. It's all about expectations and probability theory. Outcome times probability. I just thought of poker. You're on the turn. You uh, you raise it because you're preparing for the worst, <laughs> hoping for the best. Uh, so you mean if you're on a draw and you're raising it? I don't even know how to exactly apply it, but like, are you, are you call preparing for the worst? If you call the if you call a big bet the turn, you better call the river. That's the logic I hear in poker all the time, and I fail to do that. Unless you miss a draw, then I think it's time to give up. Yeah. I think money is made on folds the majority of the time. Yeah. I mean, it, it's made on folds, and it's also made on calls. You have, It's maximizing gains, minimizing, minimizing your losses. Mm -hmm. That's how you win poker. But yeah, uh... Uh, let's tie this back into like the whole loss aversion thing and happiness. So I think it, I think you need to wake up or you don't need to wake up. I think you should strive to wake up every day with the idea that like this day might not be the best, but there's the opportunity that it could be, it could be great. I think you should wake up thinking like, okay, like I'd be fine if this day wasn't amazing but I'm hopeful it is. Therefore, you're never going to be really let down. I think I, didn't I tell, I don't know who I said this to. I think my, I changed my mindset to like, I wake up every day thinking like, this could be the best day of my life. I'm not saying it will be the best day of my life. It could be. So I'm like optimistically pessimistic at the same time. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. Brain is weird. I don't want to wake up every day and say like today's gonna suck. I think that's a bad mindset. You think you're rational? No. I think I think I'm rational sometimes. I think I'm irrational other times. I don't think you can define someone as being rational or irrational. You think that they're only moving in a direction? Yes. I want to say I, I'm rational most of the time, but I probably, I don't know. How do you judge if I'm making the right decisions? Because even most of the time, how do you measure that? What counts it's and impossible. what does It's impossible. Because even, again, breaking down the util, like all of this, it, it's just... It just goes and it goes and it goes because it at every stage you're like, wow, you you actually can't analyze that too much. Mm -hmm. Can you really compare how happy you are today to how happy you were yesterday? You really can't. I mean, usually, usually, like if it's exaggerated, yes. Like if I, like like a birthday, for example, you're normally happier on your birthday. You'd mm -hmm. say I'm normally happier on my birthday than 
a work day or something like that. That I feel like you can say like, I was happier that day than this day. But on a daily basis, you really can't tell. I think you can forecast like the weather, your happiness. And it's much easier with gambling and investing that are pure dollars. Um, because with both, you, you really don't care about the journey that much. Mm -hmm. You care more about the destination versus, you know, is this job going to bring me happiness? That is the journey. You know, I, it, it's so much more than money because it's also what you have to do with your day all day. Yeah. Jesus is like every I feel like we start out like we know what we're going to talk about here and like we have a, like a set path on like how we want to describe this information to our viewers and at the end we're like man this is complicated dude this is like we're so far off at least I'm very far off of our notes right now should we talk let's talk about that study let's talk okay. about this study real quick because every episode we have to bring in a study right we do some research here mm-hmm a study led by, I don't want to, Iris Mouse. Did I say that right? A professor, of psych, so. a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley, found that people instructed to feel happier while watching a pleasant film ended up feeling worse than the people instructed just to, wa just to watch the clip. Findings like this echoed uh, in the popular press, writer Ruth Whitman argued in a recent New York Times piece that the pursuit of happiness is a recipe for neurosis. Interesting, interesting. And I think this goes back to reference points in um in the in prospect theory. So like, I mean, so like, I mean, what they're getting at here is like, well, the, the way to solve this is just tell them the movie clip you're about to watch is going to suck. And then you watch and you're like, wow, that was actually really good. Yeah. But I don't want to do that. Like the solution to this problem is something we don't want to do. You know what I mean? You think it could be uh, partially chicken and egg, though, where, like, well, you won't think about happiness if you are happy, but if you're unhappy, you'll think about it. Yeah, so which yeah. Is, which is really causing it? Is it the fact that you're not happy Tim, we or the fact that you're you, thinking you just, about it? You just answered the whole episode question. <laughs> just stop talking about it. <laughs> no, literally. Stop thinking about it. Just, like, I don't want to say be a robot. But like, and okay, okay, so now I'm going to incorporate uh, the other information we learned here. Where is this? It was the idea about situational, situ situation selection. So here's an effective strategy, which they found people like became more happy. Instead of thinking about it every second, plan out certain events that you know will bring you happiness. Um, and then the example they give in this article, it was like going on a walk with your like partner or friend after dinner because it brings you a lot of tranquility and like peace of mind. Isn't that crazy though? Just going for a walk. Yeah. I mean, anything to like really clear your mind of stressors is huge. Yeah. 
go you can also incorporate this like going to the going to the gym also helps at least for me to clear my mind i also really like going on walks mm -hmm. the tendency to prioritize positivity draws upon this energy or draws upon this strategy i find also like having having exciting things scheduled in the future helps also it does for me to, like it it helps maintain focus and versus when, when you don't really have anything to look forward to that's clear uh you kind of like fall behind and get distracted easily mm -hmm. yeah so it says if you're monitoring your happiness like from one second to the next it may get in the way of your like overall positive emotions that's like the investing right how often you check if your investments are going up and down so what did, i mean what this saying is is like have some like distractions in your life that like take your mind off of that stuff i feel like people like fall down the rabbit hole of like oh my god i'm not i'm not happy right now and then like it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy if i keep telling myself i'm not happy then i'm actually gonna stop being happy Boom. This is deep. Boom. I think we literally talked we touched on like almost every point here. Yeah. Talked about econ, law of scarcity, loss aversion, investing, finance. I feel like this was a very scattered episode, but also I think we kind of touched on somewhat specifically everything else we're gonna be talking about throughout the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. especially the money part that's going to be good yeah we touched on the social media aspect the financial aspect mm -hmm. bit on where happiness comes from uh, yeah i i think uh some of these next episodes with more focused conversations this was kind of it was almost like intro part two yep where it was just it's pretty broad yeah it was definitely interesting though a lot of prospect theory you can always tie this stuff back to econ isn't it crazy sit here talking about utils i feel like uh the more that people listen to this podcast the more they're going to become like economists yeah thank you for watching share this podcast with all your friends and family yeah uh, shares really help us out. Likes help us out. Don't forget to subscribe and follow. Um, the notification bell. We're also going to be set. We should, okay, like, should set up a tip jar. I think we do have a tip jar. I think it's on Anchor, though. Can we accept Doge? Yeah, so if you guys want to, uh, help fund unwrapping success, uh, you can pay us in Doge. Much receive. Oh. What, what is it? <laughs> yeah uh much received such send <laughs> so before we end this podcast tim has some great financial expertise on why dogecoin is the most stable currency <laughs> you've ever thought about a uh, bitcoin it's a flat two-dimensional object it uh it easily falls over but 
doge it it has four legs <laughs> so like wow that that's such stable amaze amaze <laughs> <laughs> every okay i also have to make this joke every um every person on youtube they're like i am not a financial expert so you so invest your money uh based on your needs but i'm gonna tell you to invest in this <laughs> yeah i love when they say that this isn't financial advice that being said here's my advice <laughs> you should so i'm heavily invested in I'm, I'm not talking about me i'm just talking about a youtuber in general i'm heavily invested in dogecoin I'm not telling you invest in Dogecoin, but you should invest in Dogecoin because if you do it, it, it spikes the price and I make money. It's like it's like when you're affiliated with something and you tell them to buy it. What I can't stand is all these altcoins. Oh, uh, that's bad. I I really hope our <laughs> none of our uh, listeners are like have been scammed this way, but altcoins have been giving uh, large sums of coins to content creators and then those content creators go and promote the coin and then all of their followers go and buy that coin and it spikes the price and then the content creator sells all of their coins and it's literally content creators just stealing from their fans we would never do that right tim not unless they paid us <laughs> how much are these altcoins willing to pass i'm joking <laughs> no i i I don't think that's a worthwhile endeavor because I think you could, if, even if money's your only goal, I think you could make more money by continuing to build your audience and a good trustworthy relationship there. Right. Okay, people, this has been unwrapping success, not uncovering success. That's different. We're unique. Are you giving him a shout out? No, that's not, that's not a real, that's not a real podcast, by the way. Imagine he, he like, he tweets us or something. <laughs> <laughs> he comes after us, sues us <laughs> for harassment. We did come up with the name independently. Yes. Oh, we are. We're, yeah, we're also going to have a new logo when this goes up. Um, but yeah, people, hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for the next one. Make sure to share this with all your friends and family and leave a like because it helps boost us in the algorithm. Follow us on every podcasting platform. And if you're listening to, to this in the car on the way to work and you got to this point, props to you because you have a long commute. <laughs>